As you flip, I was reminded of a, two, two different life events for myself that I went through when I was first becoming a Christian that relate to this passage in Acts 17. I'm going to give you one bad example, real jacked up example. Then I want to give you a little bit of a better example, right? So the first example, it was 2000. I had just became a believer in 1999 after, in essence, I had a pretty rough, I had a pretty rough stint in my life, eight years of using, right? So I was pretty like fresh off the chain. Yeah, that was a 1990s word. I had to throw it back. So I was fresh off the chain back in 1990. It was actually 2000. So my boy and I, we were zealous, right? We wanted to tell the world about Jesus. We're like, hey, everyone, we want to tell you about Jesus. I don't care where we are. We want to tell you something. Well, we had this great idea. We're like, how do we get this out more? How do we do it? We're passionate. We're young. We're on fire, right? And I come up with this great idea. Here it is. So check this out. Y'all might want to use this later, so take notes. All right, all right. This is the bad example, by the way. You remember uh, Circuit City and Best Buy across the street from each other? And remember how they had this big wall of CDs on, you know, CD players for your car radio with the speakers, and you go and you push play, and it's like boom, boom. You get to check music out. Well, I thought, man, wouldn't we reach Jesus by creating a CD? And I'll be on it, and I'll be like this. Do you know Jesus? You know, when they push play, it's like... You are a sinner. Do you recognize this? And then they could just check it out and then push play on the CD player. I'm like, yeah, that will reach people. That will reach people for Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. I got a better idea. He said, oh, we can get some gospel rap. That way when they go to push play, you know, they hear, they hear our gospel hook. And then finally my wife, you know, thank God for, for a wife, because she steps in and says, you two, are, you two are fools. What are you thinking about? I'm like, nah, that's not a good way to reach people. So I was zealous. But I have a lot of wisdom, right? I just wanted to proclaim Jesus. And I'm sure he, God spoke through a donkey, so he could have used the CD if we had used it. But we decided not to go that route, right? <clears throat> now, here's a better example. I have a buddy. Buddy who's Hindu. And we talk all the time. We talk, about, we talk about life. We talk about work. We talk about our families. We talk about all kinds of stuff. He had his little bracelet on one day. And I knew what it was. Um, I've studied Hinduism pretty extensively. So I understood it. And I began engaging him, but I began asking him questions. I didn't assume that I knew everything that this guy believed. I began asking him questions like, hey, you know, what do you believe about Hinduism? And as I began asking him questions, I began also saying, hey, you know what? I've I've read one of your books. I read the Bhagavad Gita. I've read this. And I began interacting with him over it. And I began questioning him where he was at in his beliefs. And you know what? It opened a door and he's like, tell me about the gospel. He didn't say it in those words, but he said, tell me about Christianity. And I began with creation. And I said, God is distinct from us. I began in creation. Then I began illustrating the fall on what's gone wrong with the world. Then I talked about the Redeemer, Jesus, and how in the end, redemption, he will set all things right. Now, obviously, one of those was better than the other, I hope, right? But... We are going to look at this in Acts 17. And as we look at it in Acts 17, here's the main idea that we're going to look at today. It's how do we live out a gospel-centered, spirit-sensitive mission in our own culture? Ready? One more time. How do we live out a gospel-centered, spirit-sensitive mission within our own culture? That is what we're going to look at today. So if you have Acts 17, just put on your seatbelts because I'm going to do a lot of reading here. This is a long text. But you know what? A lot of, a lot of Bible is good. Amen? All right, all right, so here we go. You ready? Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Come on. All right, here we go. All right, so picking up in verse 16. It's on the screen. Verse 16. 
Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day. And those who happened to be there, some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be preaching of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is you are presenting? For you bring strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or or hearing something new. So, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though as if he needed anything, since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each, each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or images formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the Lord, we come before you as your children, as your adopted sons and daughters, thanking you for the goodness of the gospel, thanking you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we come before you just thanking you for who you are, that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a just God, too. Lord, we love you. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what your text has to say to us. Lord, allow us to receive what your text says to Lord to to teach us, to correct us, to encourage us, and to move us, to push us out towards those that may not know you, Lord, to transform our hearts, to love you more, and to get a better glimpse of your glory and your majesty of who you are. In Jesus' awesome name, I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at the text. We're going to look at four main areas within this text. The first one is that God has called all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ to live on mission wherever he has placed us. That we need to recognize the spiritual questions of our world and that we need to recognize the heartbeat, recognize the spiritual heartbeat of our world. In addition to recognizing the central message of the gospel in any culture. So that's what we are going to look at this morning. So we're going to first 
First area, verses 16 and 17, on living on mission wherever you are. Now, who likes a little context? All right, woohoo, yeah, that's, woohoo, context. I mean, everyone should have been like, context? I'm, no, I'm just playing. All right, yeah, yeah. Everyone, you need context. You always need context when you're reading Scripture. You don't want to pull something out of the context, so let me give you a little background. Here you go. So a little background. Paul is on Paul, this former persecutor of Christians. Paul, this man who was at one point far from Jesus, who's been transformed, and now he is on a second missionary journey. Right? He's on a second missionary journey. And Paul had just recently, in the very beginning of Acts 17, left this, left this place called Thessalonica. Right? In Thessalonica, he was preaching Jesus, and all, the people, all of a sudden, people started coming to faith in Christ alone. And what happened was, all of a sudden, they formed this, this mob. The mob to go out to where he was staying. They knock on the door, and they're like, boom, boom, boom. You know, they're like, hey, where's Paul? You know, where's Paul? He wasn't there. His boy was there. They drag him off, bring him before the court, make him pay some money. And then he comes back and he tells Paul, he's like, yo, Paul, they're looking for you. You need to bounce. You got to get out of here, man. They, Paul's like, all right. So him and Silas, they roll out at night. Whew, go to the next town. Obviously, things were a little heated, right? He had to leave. Next thing you know, they land in Berea. Y'all ever heard of Berea? The Bereans were the ones that searched the scriptures more. They were noble. They checked everything out. Be Bereans. That's, that's a plug there. Be Bereans, right? You get a little t-shirt to say that. So anyway, so be Bereans. But that brings us then to this text here that we're looking at this morning. Paul was in Athens. Athens in Greece, right? This is where it went down, man. You Harvard got nothing on Athens. I'll tell you, Harvard got nothing on Athens. I mean, people that walk the street, you know who walked the streets of Athens at one point? Aristotle, right? That name ring a bell? Maybe this guy named so- Socrates, or some of you might pronounce him Socrates, you know, if you're not sure. And then also this guy named Plato. I'm not talking about the toy in the can. I'm talking about the man. Plato, he walked those streets. I mean, there was some, the who's who, that's who were there in Athens. This is like, there's some serious intellectuals around this area. But also there was high-level and low-level culture. So let's look back at the text. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... His spirit, inner man, was provoked with him when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned this reasonable faith, not a check-your-brain-at-the-door kind of faith. He reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So we see that, you know, Paul was reasoning with them. But it's not too far connected from our own culture. Right? We have high level and low level of culture, right? Things get developed in academics, in academia, right? You see that? That's high level. Even the Discovery Channel may reflect this. You know, they have high level, you know, the quest for the real Jesus. I'm sure you guys seen something like that. That's kind of high level, although those are usually slanted and they don't have the both opposing perspectives on there. But then we have low level. Y'all know low level, right? It permeates through music, through the arts. How about the barbershop? I know it's been a while since I've been to the barbershop, but you know, some of you got a little more hair than me, right? The barbershop, you got little philosophical conversations, man, don't you? Oh, don't act so innocent. I know, you know what's up. All right, so and then ladies, you got a little uh, philosophical gossip that goes on at the beauty salons? Man, no? All right, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way. Okay, so check it out. We have high-level and low-level culture, even in the coffee shops, sitting around having dialogues, asking questions sometimes. This is what happened. This is the questions. Why are we here? What's going on? 
What do we live for? What's this world about? Questions about the meaning of life, right? That's what goes on sometimes at the low level and the high level. And we're going to look at this. Now, Paul talks about his spirit being provoked in him within verse 16, right? And he says, the city was full of idols. This is the same man that's also proclaimed, why do I do the things I don't want to do, right? He was a man who understood his own heart. And I think that understanding our own heart and understanding that we long for things from time to time to replace Jesus is a good actual way to see motivation to push us out towards others. So John Calvin, the theologian John Calvin, was once quoted by saying, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is from his mother's womb, is an expert in inventing idols. In other words, simply placing something above the throne of Christ. Something that we call ultimate that Christ doesn't call ultimate. When we see a good desire that ascends the throne, it becomes an ultimate thing. That is what it is. The New Testament also calls us the lust of the flesh, is what it refers to it as. And guess what? I bring this out because when we see sin clearly, we begin to see the gospel more beautifully. You catch that? When you see sin clearly in your own heart, you begin to see the gospel more beautifully. It should not be something that drives you to discouragement, but it should be something that drives you to the cross. It should not be something that crushes you, but it should be something that lets you see the goodness and grace and mercy of Jesus. We can see this in the, in the cross chart. You can see this on the screen here, Right? At one point in time, if you know Jesus now, there was a time when you didn't. You were separated. Your heart was in rebellion, whether you realize it or not. Your heart was far from God. And God in his mercy reaches out in grace and transformed a heart of stone, as the Old Testament would tell us, into a heart of what is called flesh. A heart that then can respond to him. And through that, boom. You are declared righteous only because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone for sin. But here's what happens. Like you become a Christian, all of a sudden you start seeing things in your own heart that are not right. You see that you long for things that you shouldn't long for. You don't do things that you should do. And you do things that you shouldn't do. What happens? Does that crush you? Well, all of a sudden, you see this growing awareness of your sin. And simultaneously, you should see the growing awareness of God's holiness. And God's holiness is such and so much other than what we are. And that shouldn't kill us. But what we should see is we should see the cross as bigger and bigger and bigger. And we realize the gospel is so glorious and so good. It covers that. And then we want to proclaim Christ more and more. This is what it would look like. It's just called beholding the glory of Christ. As we behold the glory of Christ, we begin to see the cross more and more. John Owen used to talk about this in his book. As we look to Christ's glory, we see the goodness of the gospel. It begins to transform our hearts. As it transforms our heart, then we can then fight sin. And that will become the motivation to proclaim his goodness. Let me say it this way. We need to, let me paint the picture on how we see his glory. We see his glory in the eternal covenant made for us, sons and daughters, the ones adopted of the most high God. We see his glory in the father sending the son to pay the penalty for sin. 
We see His glory in the Son laying down His life. We see His glory in the Son forgiving our sin. We see His glory in the beauty of the Trinity. We see His glory in the eternal other-centeredness of the Trinity that connects us to community and fellowship with one another. We see His glory in His matchless, eternal, upholding, merciful, sovereign rule and govern over all. Do you catch a glimpse of it? Do you catch a glimpse of it? Because when you have a big God, it changes everything. And it also changes your motivation to proclaim this God to a world that does not know Him. Paul saw his glimpse of his glory, right? Paul was a persecutor of Christians, right? Some of y'all are thinking, we weren't persecutors of Christians, but God looks at our own heart before we became him. We were a persecutor of Jesus himself. Verse 17, Paul says, hey, I went to the marketplace every day, right? And uh, you're probably looking at this and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Paul, Paul went every day to the marketplace. Doesn't Paul know, yo, I got a J-O-B. I got to get rid of more and go to work. Who's got a job? All right. Three of y'all work. All right, cool. All right, so we got three people to work. So for you three people to work, this may help. But the other ones, no. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> so, you know, you got to get up. So here, here's a good way on actually on interpreting Scripture. The book of Acts is one of those ones, you know, a lot of churches say, we want to get back to the book of Acts. Now I'm going to give you something about interpretation. There's this thing in interpretation. <clears throat> it's, there are things that are descriptive, that describe events, within Acts, and there are things on the other side of the prescriptive that say we need to do this, right? Paul clearly in 17, Acts 17 here is describing how he entered culture. So you say, hey, I may not be able to go downtown, you know, Baltimore every day, but you know what? I can apply this by going anywhere God has placed me and proclaiming it, proclaiming the goodness of Christ and living on mission. Do you see? The connection can be made. It's very easy to make the connection. But let me give you another serious connection. You know what a, just a serious connection is within our culture? Authenticity. Authenticity. We live in a world that we put our best foot forward, do we not? We polish our resumes. We go, we get, we go to school. We put our best foot forward in everything. But you know what is, you know what is appealing to people? If you invite a non-Christian into your community group, and all of a sudden they look around and you're confessing sin, and they realize, snap, these people are as jacked up as I am. That looks good. That looks good. Because they're like, there is something about this that is really weird, right? There's something, you know, they may think there's something about this that's weird. But guess what? They're going to walk away saying, there's something about that that was really cool. These people were willing to take the mask off. Let each other see their lives and then be able to reach into their lives and proclaim the goodness of the gospel. All of a sudden, they're looking at your life and they're like, wait a minute. They're talking about leveling the playing field, that Jesus levels the playing field. And as Jesus levels the playing field, what they realize is Jesus came for pimps. Jesus came for prostitutes. Jesus came for heroin addicts. Jesus came for the goody two-shoes that thinks he's too good. Jesus came for those that hearts are far away. And when people come into those situations, they're like, this is real. This is real. That is authenticity. Y'all want a taste of that? 
Plug into a community group. That was my plug, all right? Check it out. If you're not in a group, you need to plug into a group. Who's in a group? Say amen. Yeah, that's right. All right. So that's my plug of, of the community group for the sermon. All right. So <clears throat> let's keep on going, right? So 18, verses 18 through 21. Recognize the spiritual questions of our world. Let's look at some of the questions. So he picks up an 18. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, right? Now, these guys, they got little strange words, but let me, let me connect them to modern life because it's not very far from us. The Epicureans, they believe that in a life full of pleasure, a life just basically a life free of pain. Who's got friends like that? Yeah, I got three hands that went up. All right. Yeah, so three people know. That's all right. I'm sure some of you all know too. But they're also deists. Basically, they viewed God as like not involved. He made a world and he's not involved. But he also... They, didn't, they denied life after death. So they denied the resurrection, which is important to see later on in the text. But then we got these other, these other cats called the Stoics. And these Stoics, they stress living in harmony, right? These kind of remind me of like the modern-day hippies go off in the woods and journal and write stuff, you know, down and stuff. You know, they were like that. Um, they had a theology of what's called pantheism, God, part of everything. I don't want to burst your bubble for you Star Wars lovers, but it's kind of like the Force. All right. So... Those are the two people. It connects to us. We see this every day, right? It's not far from us. Don't think the text is, that, is far removed. He keeps going. He says, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say to us? Do you realize that these people just called the Apostle Paul, you know, persecutor of Christian? They just called him a babbler? Dude, Paul is a freaking boss, man. He is a boss. He's on, like, beast mode. I mean, he is straight up, I mean, you know, OG. This is, this is Paul. Paul, and they call him a babbler. Like, you know, and, and you translate this babbler as seed picker. Like, he has to run behind other people and pick up their ideas. Like, oh, you said something. Now I'm going to regurgitate something simple. So they're taking, you know, cracks at Paul here. And others said he seems to be preaching of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Remember? They didn't, Epicureans didn't believe in the resurrection. So they're, all right, he's already rubbing them wrong. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. This is what's called Mars Hill. If you Google it, it's not much to look at. It's just like a big old rock, a big old hill. The buildings aren't there today. But this is where a lot of the churches get their name, Mars Hill. This is the text, guys. All right. He says, may we, may we know what these new teachings, <clears throat> the teaching, new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to knew, know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling each other something new. Ooh, man, a lot of dialogue that went down. I guess they didn't have a J-O-B. All right, how do we... All right, how do we... So the question before us becomes this. All right, let's bring this back to modern day, everyday living for you guys, right? We're talking about living on mission, right? Living on mission. So we want to live on mission, but we need to say, how do we interact with culture? I don't want to assume you guys... Everyone's on the same field with this definition of culture. So, culture comes through the music. It comes through our arts. It comes through belief systems. It also, it also comes through stuff, right? We make culture in the way we design things. This building is designed in a specific fashion. Look at the high ceilings. Look at the beautiful artwork. It is meant to draw your attention upward. That was the, the mentality behind some of the buildings, even in structure. In art, you see this all over the place. But let me tell you how we interact with culture 
Sometimes, I want to give you two bad ways that I've seen Christians interact with culture. I'm sure you've seen some of these. First one is withdrawal. Has anyone seen someone that withdraws from the world? Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. You know that's right. Look, this is what happens. So basically, they're like, I want to, I've become a believer in Jesus, and I'm going to live in this bubble. And all I'm going to do with this bubble is watch VeggieTales all day, because that's all I want to watch. And I'm going to listen to music, and the only kind of music I'm going to listen to, I'm not even going to listen to Christian rock or Christian hip-hop. I'm going to listen to only the Gettys. That's all I'm going to listen to. It, no one knows who they are, do they? All right, so yeah, basically, you live in a bubble. That's to withdraw from the world we live in, not to engage with the gospel, right? Another one on the flies under the banner of what we call holiness. And trust me, we are called to live separated, right? We are called to do this. But sometimes it gets a little twisted. And it seems underneath, underneath this banner that sin is seen as something that we catch and not something we can tend to prefer. Do you catch that? As if the world taints us, what we have to keep in mind is, my friends, the goodness of the gospel says, you already are tainted. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the goodness of the gospel. Thank God for the forgiveness of sins. And also, here's the last one, a withdrawal. This was just an example of a friend of mine. Hey, he liked to, you know, he'd like to grab a six-pack every now and then and have a beer and enjoy a beer. He got so paranoid about it, he was afraid that other Christians would see him. So you know what he did? He stopped doing it, and he ordered it online and brewed beer in his basement. All right, right? He was withdrawing. That was a form of withdrawing as well. All right, here's another one. So the other flip side to withdrawing is to imitate. Now, I don't have to be a prophet to probably say that in a crowd this size that there are a couple of people in here that may imitate culture, that if I just engaged some of your coworkers and said, hey, what makes them distinctly a Christian? They would say, I don't know what you're talking about. They hang out with us. They do the same thing as us. They say the same thing as us. They don't act just like us. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sometimes, as believers, we can mirror culture so much that people don't even understand or even see anything. Another slick way of doing it is that maybe we don't mirror 100%, but maybe we imitate it in this way, and this one may nail you a little bit. We embrace the ethical standpoint that our world as a whole says is correct. Right? All of a sudden, the vote goes through, and something becomes legal. And we're like, oh, we'll, we'll jump on board of that just because we don't want to be made fun of. What we have to do is we have to come back to the Word of God and say, this is our filter. This is our filter. But here you go. So I'm going to tell you how, to, how, how I want to present engaging a world in living on mission. I want to call it faithful flexibility. Faithful flexibility. You all say faithful flexibility? All right, all right. <laughs> all right, here we go. So faithful flexibility. So here's faithful flexibility. It's going to make it real easy. Faithful flexibility. We see in Jude 1.3, on one hand, we see this idea of contend for the faith, which was, all, which was delivered to the saints. Contending for the faith. We're going to name some essentials, right? Deity of Christ, the Trinity, salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ alone, the Word of God, the virgin birth. These are essentials, right? God is creator. He is holy. We are not. We are fallen. We are sinners. Okay, those are essentials. We hold to those radically. Those are actually like white-knuckle kind of doctrines. We hold to those. But on the other side, we see Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I became all things to all people so that some might be saved. So what do we do? 
faithful flexibility. I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts about how to enter culture, what areas to enter and what areas not to enter. What I'm going to say is it comes down to God's wisdom. It comes down to wisdom on what to enter. On one thing, we don't give up when our world, we don't give up things on God's standpoint that the world say, say, this is good. We don't give up on that. We hold that tightly. On the other side, we enter the world and be flexible with our friends and engage them, music, movies, whatever it may be. All right. So we also have a story. Who likes a good story? Everyone likes a good story, right? Guess what? The scripture lays out a story for us. Yes, the gospel, the entire scripture from Genesis to Revelation lays out a story. So on the screen, we'll see right here. This story can be, can be condensed down to this right here. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This is a story. And this big story informs our individual little stories. Do you realize that this is a story that informs every Sunday morning here at the Village Church? Ooh, you ready? I want to give you something. This is intentional, thought through. Creation, we come. What do we do? Call to worship. We speak of God's holiness. Fall, we have, we have times sometimes of repentance. Redemption, we have times of proclaiming the word of God. And restoration, we come before this table and knowing that Christ is going to come again. Do you see how the big story impacts our little stories? It also impacts it in this way. It, I, it answers the question of my identity. Right? That's the question I talked about earlier. Those questions on a low-level society. Identity. Who am I? It answers the question, what's my problem? What's going wrong with the, what's my problem and what's going wrong with this world? It answers the question, what is the solution? How are things made right? And finally, it answers the question, where is there hope? Do you see that these are the questions that our world is asking? And we have a story that is founded in the Word of God to come and show them that here is the truth. So let's look at this. So creation, I want to lay it out. Creation, in essence, man and Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. We call it the Imago Dei. Maybe you've seen some churches with that name, right? It means the image of God. That's what it is. But guess what was there? A perfect peace. Perfect peace. God dwelt among man. And then what theologians call the fall entered in. Adam and Eve wanted to be kings of their own world. They wanted to wear the crown. There's then, at that point, sin and death entered the world. Physical sin right? Entered the world so that we die. Spiritual sin entered so that we are separated from God. But God in His grace had a Redeemer. And the Redeemer is Jesus. That He would come and pay the penalty for our sin. Lay it on His life for all those that come to Him in faith. And finally, there is redemption. There is a hope. And this is answering these questions. Do you have friends that ask questions to you? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so, right? So when you go in, you can... You can begin to walk through this creation, fall, redemption, and finally, restoration. How is Christ making all things new? It is one way to enter, but you need to be, have a spirit-led, faithful flexibility when you enter, enter this conversation. We'll see here in a minute. Paul entered it one way with the Jews. 
He entered at the point of redemption and pointing back to Jesus in the Old Testament. And the Gentiles here that we see he enters at creation. We'll see that in a moment here. So let's keep reading. So we need to recognize the heartbeat of our world in verses 22 through 28. This is when Paul actually addresses the Areopagus. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Sometimes some commentators have said, basically, he was kind of like throwing them a bone trying to build a bridge at this point. He says, For as I passed along and observed your objects of worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. You see where Paul just went? He went back to creation. He proclaimed to somebody that he says, ah, Unlike the Jews who understand the Old Testament, understand creation, understand they're sinful, he went all the way back to creation and began proclaiming that in Acts 17 here. That's how he entered culture. He went back. It's like what what we see in Romans 1 as well. Verse 26 picks up. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Not an accident, not a mistake, right? And that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Do you see what Paul just did there? There was a cultural connection that was just made in the text. Just as I told my friend, hey, I've read the Bhagavad Gita. Paul said, hey, I've read your poets. Do you see the connection? And he utilized that as a connection to proclaim the gospel. That is how we enter culture and live on mission. Right there. Now, let me help you address the idea of our current culture. Let's take the thermostat. You ready? You ready to take a little temperature? See what our culture is like? All right, here we go. So, sometimes to see what our culture is like, we have to see our own struggle within it. So, I think what we do a lot of times is a struggle for us, even as Christians, if you're in Christ, is to compartmentalize. You ever done this? Yeah, we've done this, right? We compartmentalize. We just push Jesus off to the side, and we don't bring, them in, bring him into our relationship. As if he is a separate piece that we add on instead of being the hub in which our entire life should go around. And we compartmentalize. We'll see right here on the slide that we separate things into categories like this. Feelings and facts. Right? We separate them. Feelings and facts. We say, oh, feelings. This is this right here. That is, that's sacred. That's just true for you. That's true for you as an individual. That's sacred. It's private. It's subjective. It's relative. This is the area of like love, area of like beauty, area of religion, as if you don't use logic. Use logic. Use reason. Yes. The area of art, the area of right and wrong, that's what gets crammed in this area. Personal versus private. As if it's relegated to the sidelines and what you do in private does not impact public at all. 
So we have this one side. We're like, oh, everything is sacred over here. Now, on the other side, we have facts. People say, now this is a false divide, by the way. Keep it in mind. They say facts. That's, that's secular. That's true for everyone. That's public. It's objective. It's universal. This is history. This is science. This is math. These are tangible things, and we separate them out. Yo, this is a lie. That's what this is. This on the screen is a lie. And you know what this does is this crushes your spiritual life when you embrace it. It is a lie because it's the understanding, the comment that you can do what you want in private. And that's all there is to it. It doesn't come out. Let me give you an example on how this works, on why it's a lie. How about something that's inundated our culture like crazy? Ready? Pornography. Pornography. It's rampant. We know it is. We don't hide. We, can't act. we don't put our head in the sand like an ostrich. It is rampant in our culture, right? But what do most people say? I will watch porn simply because it's isolated. I can do it on the end, and it doesn't impact anyone. Guess what? That is the most self-centered, selfish comment that you could ever hear in your entire life. Because we live in a community of people, do we not? We live in a community. So what you do in private is going to come out in public. That man or woman that engages in that is then going to have a skewed perspective on sexuality. They're going to have a skewed perspective on how we look, how they look at uh, men and women within public. And they are also contributing to a larger organization as a whole. The more they watch, the more they want to produce. Do you catch that? So all of a sudden, we can't say what happens in private is not going to impact public. But my friends here, you ready? I want to bring it back to the gospel. We fall short. There's probably many in here that have struggled with this area. Where do you run? You run back to the gospel. You run back to looking at the glory of Christ. And as you chase and follow Christ and see his beauty, the grip of the sin begins to be loosened over time. And it begins to be loosened. And as it's loosened, you begin to confess the sin within your yo community group. Plug again. You begin to confess it. And God utilizes those time to conform you more and more into the image of the Son. You just don't go down in despair. Amen? Amen. That's right. All right. All right. Now, what is another problem with this divide up here? This divide simply says it can't explain the basis of life. Look at this. It can't explain love. If you separate this, you can't explain love. You can't explain beauty. You can't explain art. You can't explain right and wrong. You can't explain this stuff. You are left with this divided life, and it's all jacked up. So here you go. Let's, let's see how Scripture comes in. When Jesus comes in, what does he do? He reorients everything. Everything. So here's a quote from Michael Horton, theologian Michael Horton, that teaches apologetics and theology at Westminster Seminary in California. He says, the gospel is not something we can just tack on to another worldview. On the contrary, it makes you rethink everything from the ground up, from the center out. Woo. That's good. That's good, right? You know it's good. I know it's good. I think that's good. All right, so C.S. Lewis says something. This is a famous quote from Lewis. It's all over the Internet. You probably recognize it, but check it out. It, it works. It, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, 
believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I see everything else by it. Do you see what happens? Christ comes into your life. He blows away this divide. And he says, I rule all. Not just the elements of your life you want to try to keep hidden. I rule all. And you know what? We take that. That same thing. And we recognize the spiritual heartbeat of our own world. We recognize our own struggle. And then we are called to live on mission, proclaim this good news to other people. Right? The center of the gospel. Not just some moral goody boy conversation. The gospel levels the playing field, right? It levels it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He came for what? He came for pimps. He came for prostitutes. He came for addicts. And he came for you goody two-shoes as well. Mm. Last point, verse 29 through 31. We have to present the central message of the gospel in any culture. Pick back up in 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being as like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all By raising him from the dead. Raising Jesus bodily from the dead. So what do we see here? Paul enters, Paul is entering their world, just like we are called to enter the world, to proclaim the gospel wherever God has placed us for that moment. And I think he shows us a good understanding of what it looks like to to enter the world with a faithful flexibility. Because he understood John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. He knew that, right? He had the core on one hand, the close-handed, but yet he was faithful on the open-handed, and he entered people's world. He had different tactics. We could see that with Jesus as well. He had the tactic. He came in, and he asked questions sometimes. He was on the offense. He was on the defense. He would ask questions, ask people the logical conclusion. It is a reasonable faith. He would ask them the logical conclusion of why they had believed something. It is rooted in history, events that occurred, things in time. And he would go back to the Jews. What did he do? He didn't begin at creation or fall. What did he do? He began at the Old Testament and showed them Jesus. With the Gentiles, he began at creation where he needed to begin. He was flexible. And this is all called under spirit-led wisdom. Spirit-led wisdom. So a lot of times when you guys hear about living on mission or reaching out to your friends and neighbors, there can be a layer of guilt associated with this topic. You know what I'm saying? There can be a layer of guilt that can, be, can rise up like, man, I'm not doing this. You know what I say? Remember the cross chart that was up there? As we see a growing awareness of our sinfulness and a growing awareness of God's holiness, we begin to see the gospel more and more and more. And guess what? Let that motivate you to love your neighbors more. Let that motivate you to engage people, to actually go into culture with a faithful flexibility. And I want to leave us and end on this. It's simply, will you allow the beauty of Christ to motivate you to live on mission, reach out with faithful flexibility, and share the good news within our culture. Let's pray, guys.
Uh, Father, we uh, come to you once again and just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you sent your son. Father, we thank you that you have given a story that impacts our individual stories, Lord, that this is practical, this is real, this is raw, this, this is beautiful, Father. And Lord, I ask that you just ignite each of us within here to just want to spread your good news, Lord. We have good news that's been given to us, uh, Lord. I just ask that we'll reach out, invite others to our community groups even that may not know you so that when they come in, they can simply say, this may look strange, but this is really cool. This is authentic, and this is real and raw. And, Lord, we uh, just thank you for the forgiveness of sin, and thank you for your word. In Jesus' awesome name.